I have a message that I believe God has given to me, and I want to read in John chapter 5, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We won't spend a whole lot of time there, I promise you. John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9. I would like for us to start reading. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind and halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, and whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been there, had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But when I am coming, another steppeth down before me. And Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take thy up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Amen. I would like for us, the message tonight I want to preach is meeting God's expectations. Amen. If we could lay our Bibles down. Lift our hands to heaven and talk to him tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. You're so good to us, Master. We so appreciate being able to be in the house of God to worship you. God, I ask you to anoint these lips of mine. Allow me, God, to follow your spirit. God, reach out to you with all of my heart, God. I ask you, God, to minister mightily, God, in this house, in every heart, every home, every home. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Out of trying times, there are lasting outcomes. And my mind goes back to the Great Depression. Out of that time came ingenuity and the appreciation for the smaller things in life. We find that possessions were not as disposable as they are today. We find when we have something break or fail in our eyes, it's easy for us. You can drive down your road or go past the dump, and there is truckloads after things that people are going there to the dump to dispose of, and it can't be fixed. It's easier to purchase than it is to fix. And what we find is working meant working hard and being proud of what you had accomplished. There was some never-quit attitudes inside of these people who survived the Great Depression. We find when we look at people who are from the era of World War II, and out of that came a unity of a nation that had their children spread across the globe fighting a cruel war, and parents and family members receiving notifications of sons and daughters, their lives being lost in battle. And there was something that happened within communities because they bound themselves together. 
knowing that they had nothing. Husbands and sons and daughters were out fighting a cruel war, but we find them binding together, saying, we can go to work. We can do something about it. We can make a difference. And what we have is a generation, and some of them are still around today, and we should appreciate them and honor them But there are generations that said, we're not going to bow down to something happening on our soil. And they find that there was determination. And Sister Goff and I have had the opportunity to work from with some of these folks that are from that era. And, And we have set in awe and we have repeatedly said time and time again, they are some of the most determined people I have ever met in my life, even in their 90s. They are the most determined people you will ever find. Times past has brought efficiencies that we can trace back to the roots and thank God for modernizations and of washboards becoming washing machines and outhouses bringing in indoor plumbing and chariots and and, and wagons becoming to automobiles and the modernization of life as we know it. But it can all go back to a time when it didn't have it. Things changed. There was uh, people began to put their heads together and say, we can make a difference. And things began to change. It's from these times that we live in today that I'm not a prophet, but I can throw some things out that you can relate to today that will change in our lifetime. You may have your grandkids ask you, why do you wash your hands all the time? Why do we have so much toilet paper? It may even, the comments be, why does going to church mean so much to you? Your children, your grandchildren may at some point in time say, why do you like sitting outside? Because some folks in some areas may be able to say, at one point in time, this was illegal. Times change us. We begin to evolve. We as a church begin to evolve. They say that the saying is necessity is the mother of invention. When you look at this saying in different languages, the Bulgarian language says misery teaches. Russian says poor people are crafty. The Danish says the need teaches the naked to spin wool. Spanish says the necessity is the mother of science. German says necessity makes you inventive. Italian says necessity sharpens ingenuity. And the Latin says necessity is the mother of arts. And all through time, there have been influences that have made a mark on people's lives. And it's in those times, changes that they were forced to live through. But out of challenging times, we can read through Scripture where a church was created, a nation was born, a mom and dad ran for their lives, and a savior was born. Salvation was poured out upon upon the hungry-hearted. We can look at all of these challenges in life, and some would say it's too difficult. It's not worth the fight. But God has an expectation upon each and every one of us. Many of us deal with challenges in life differently. We process challenges differently. Some rise up and says, the more you press on me, 
the more I'm going to fight back. And some may fall back and say, it's just too difficult. Some people document these challenges in their life. Songs written in a trial are much more powerful than those that are written trying to reach the top 40 billboard charts. The words that paint Jesus as their boyfriend and the reference of deity as vague and easily overlooked. You can listen to songs that talk about rips in your jeans and dents in your fenders and they have no depth to them. And then they begin to reference and there's praise and worship songs that churches uh, preach and sing today where Jesus is their boyfriend more than he is their savior. There's not a deep genuine walk with God that they've allowed them to have God prove himself faithful to them. It's all about what does it sound like and what is the beat and the rhythm. Boyfriends don't go to Calvary and sacrifice themselves on a cross. Only a Savior can. We sang the song Waymaker tonight. Love that song. There's also another song called Waymaker. The lyrics go, Waymaker, calling on you right now. Because I know that you know how. You're the source of all creation. I'm so glad that you care. You are the way maker. I hear nothing about that that says, look at the dents in my fenders and the rips in my jeans. It's because I called on a Savior and he heard my cry. I remember years ago, my grandmother at her funeral, they sang a song that she wrote. One of the verses says, a small object there I set. It gives me consolation yet. I know that God within the trial has rescued me. And if this trial I shall face, I know he will give me grace. And then in the midst of muddy waters, rescue me. And the chorus says, reach me, Lord, with your hand. Lift me up. I know you can. You can rescue me from the swirling muddy waters that want to take my soul. There is something that is a testimony when a saint of God can say, he's a keeper, he's a way maker, he's a healer. God knows everything we need tonight, saints of God. His expectation is we make it through. Whether you believe in God or not, there are expectations for your life and how you live. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in verse 18, it says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This verse of scripture is more than as parents we hand a child something and they don't say thank you. This is more than a, a family member or a friend hand them a gift and they don't say thank you. He's saying, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. This is something we must do. This is something we must live by. We have to have thanks in our life. There are expectations from God that we're thankful. There are people today that are realizing just how boring their life is. When their job's taken away, when their mall's taken away, when their sports team's taken away, when all the activities outside of their home is taken away, they realize how much they hate themselves, their families, and their lives. This time 
is very re revealing to folks because they now understand I'm miserable and everything that I fill my life with is just to mask it over so I'm not so tired of the way I'm living. And then God steps in and he says, listen, I can take care of everything. There are expectations in your life. You're listening to the word of God tonight. God is demanding a response from you in your life. Not just, I can't wait until Corona is over with. You need to say, I can't wait until I can get to the house of God. Until I can be baptized in Jesus' name. Until I can find myself at an altar repenting of my sins. Until God can fill me with the Holy Ghost. That's what you can't wait for. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11 it says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Saints of God, this is not our time to have our head hanging down low. This is not our time to sit there and say, Oh, well, God has taken care of me and we can even turn it on the flip side and gloat in people's faces and says, I've got a God that can take care of me. I don't know about you, but he'll, he'll, he'll heal me, but you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do. We need to be like Brother Hilton says, I'll pray. I'll take it to the house of God. We'll lay hands on him. We're going to, after, after we dismiss here, we're going to lay hands on a prayer cloth and we're going to send one to someone who has cancer and diagnosed with uncertain uh, uh, futures in their life and that looks like all hope is lost. And, and we're going we're gonna to send prayers their way tonight because we know that there is a God that can heal and loves to as we sing about it, we pray about it, we preach about it. God knows how to take care of his children. And it's upon us to say, in whatsoever state I am, I'm not going to try to wish my way out of it. I'm going to embrace it and say, God, how can you use this in my life today? Because everything in our life is designed to either move you or others closer to Christ. Without a doubt, without a doubt, everything in your life is to influence the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. I can tell you tonight, saints of God, we've said it time and time again, this is the plan of God. What we're going through is the plan of God. If he has to bring the nations to its knees for them to realize something is needed in my life. If he has to talk, to create a, a virus to bring the world to a stop and then say, maybe I should care about my neighbor, my soul, and my future, so be it. But he is not the author of confusion. This is not a Black Friday sale on salvation. God has orchestrated everything in everybody's life up until this point, trying to get them ready to say, I need God. If your life is a retail store, he has a planogram for your life. He knows what will sell, the refresh rate for inventory. He knows what you see valuable and you're willing to sell or be sold or be thrown away. God knows how to use this in your life. If your life's a garden, he knows the layout. 
He knows what you're compatible with. He knows what the yield will be in your life. God knows everything about you. If your life is a structure, he has the blueprint and knows how you are built and he knows exactly what you can withstand. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13 says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, he knows exactly what you need in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation always make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Saints of God, hold to the hand of God. He knows exactly what you're going through. If your life, if you see it as a technology, he has the project plan. Revelations chapter 21 and verse 6 says, and he said unto me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst at the fountain of the water of life freely. God knows what you need tonight. You may think, well, I'm going to write out my life's plans and goals. I can tell you today, you did not realize what was going to happen in the year 2020. Your plan is on its ear. It's been turned upside down. Why not try Jesus? He takes things that are upside down and places them upright. Things that are broken and he fixes them. Things that don't feel right in your life, he makes them to where they're perfect. He restores the soul and tells them you can feel love when you haven't felt love ever in your life. You can look at this and say, well, if I'm a technology, I need a business case. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Don't worry about how much salvation will cost you. Give it all to Jesus. He'll take it all. He'll receive it. He says, oh, don't worry about writing a check you don't think you can cash. My blood has covered all of it. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God commanded his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows what you need. Saints of God, we can live in these times and I believe the word of God will do it. But don't let us get the feeling in our heart, I just need to be encouraged every service. I just got to be encouraged. You were made for this moment. Every revival, every prayer meeting, every Bible study, every service that was on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Tuesday night, a, a prayer meeting on Thursday night with your church family, it was creating you for the time where you could walk up and say, preacher, preach on. I was made for this moment. Send me out. Tell me where the hungry souls are out. I'm here for them today. You can look at your life and say, I need a business capability model. You can't do it on your own. The master architect knows more than you do. God knows why when you only understand the snippets of your life of what makes you tick. God gives you little glimpses of your life and you'll sit there and read a book or read the Bible or hear a message or the man of God talk to you and begin to tell you why you do what you do. But you don't always understand the full intent of what goes on up here and translates down to the heart. God knows. 
Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Don't think you're too good. Don't think that, oh, I, I, I don't need what you're telling me, preacher. Before you walk away from church, before you click away because it's so easy, the word of God says all have sinned. That means everybody. That means no one is exempt. That means uh, there's not a, a criteria, grading criteria. Uh, you may be just like the government sending out these checks. If you meet this criteria, you get this amount. If you meet this criteria, you get this dollar amount. And, and some are going to get it and some don't. The Bible says, whosoever will, let them come. Because why? For all have sinned. You can say, oh, well, I don't know about this church. I'm, 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 I'm very visual. I need, I, I, I need a plan. Well, if you need a physical diagram, go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. It says, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee prophet unto the nations. God knows what your life will entail. It's upon us to surrender all to him. You can try to say, well, my intellect will not let me be able to uh, handle Christianity and it's not for me and I'm, I'm too technical and I'm far too advanced for It's just grandmas and little kids that go to Sunday school. But I can tell you this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How is that for technical? He created everything from nothing but the spoken word of God. But you can go down to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 and he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall to on the ground without your father? He's telling us, listen, the smallest things of life that we overlook, he knows. It's that same God that spoke it all into existence cares about the sparrow. Have you ever walked uh, down a path and come upon a bird laying on the ground? Many times it's a, oh, that's gross. And you walk around it and you see the maggots and the bugs and the ants and whatever. And you, oh, that's nasty. But he knows they're there. The Bible tells us even the most worthless Sold just for a farthing, he knows. That's what Matthew chapter 10 and verse 29 says. There are ex expectations from times such as these. It's not a time to huddle up and only survive. The lame man beside the pool of Bethsaida was simply a survivor. 38 years he had an illness. No telling how long he had been next to the pool. But for so long, he laid next to the solution. And the one thing that is changing his life is that the waters could be troubled. And that would change his life forever. In John chapter 5, in our text we read, And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been, had been now a long time in that case. And saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man. Excuse, excuse. You can say, well, I can't go to church because we have a stay-at-home order. Excuse, excuse. God can meet you where you're at. I was talking to a minister today 
And he says, it's crazy how God is using these times. So unconventional. He said, there was a man that didn't even go to a church. Someone told him about their streaming online. He was out fishing. If I remember the story correctly, he was out fishing, listening to it. And conviction began to set in his heart. He set his fishing pole down there in his boat. Knelt down and prayed. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. You don't have to come up to pearly white altars. You don't have to kneel down in the plushes of carpets. You just have to surrender all of your heart to him. That's all he's asking. Don't be like the lame man. Say, sir, I have no man. This man, this word of God, is taking away every excuse you can present tonight. Quit pushing it to the back of your mind and saying, not today. Because you don't know, you may not have tomorrow. Think of your heart. Think of what enters your mind. Every time you have that little nervous cough and you're like, do I have it? Fear grips your heart. You're like, oh, am I running a temperature? Fear grips your heart. But when you have Jesus, there's nothing to worry about. You can say, well, what if he doesn't heal me? What if he doesn't? What if he decides to give me a promotion? I'll take it. God's got everything in the palm of his hand. You can say, sir, I have no man. But Jesus walked up in that situation. It says Jesus knew how long he had been there, what he was sick with. And Jesus asked the question with expectation. And he says, I don't have someone to come down and when the water's troubled and put me in. And when I am coming, another steps down before me. Lame excuse. Because Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Just as the word of God is today, the expectation of God in your life to the saved and the unsaved, he is asking for action. He wants us to do something with his word. Obey it. In verse 9, it says, Immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. And when he had asked, he even had to go a story along with it. We see the lame man. He had his little cue card, his little, his little, uh, his little card that he had written down. Okay, when someone asks why I'm laying here in this condition, I'm supposed to say, I have no man. He was prepared for that moment. It doesn't say he wondered within himself or he pondered the words of Jesus. It says he responded and says, I have no man. You can look at the church today and say, it's not perfect. The church will never be perfect for you. You may not have someone to come there and drag you out of your recliner or your couch and, and say, put some church clothes on or put some clothes on and clean yourself up and let's go to church. But you may be hearing the voice of this preacher and it's doing that very same thing. Find you the house of God. Find you a place where truth is being preached. Find you a place where the plan of salvation is preached to you squarely and so you know exactly what it is to be saved. Don't sit there and say, this will all be over with eventually. I'm not trying to get you afraid or let fear enter you and, promote and provoke you to come to church. I'm telling you, life is real. And you better respect it because it's not always guaranteed. You can't expect it to be there tomorrow or the next day. God has given everybody an opportunity. 
His expectation is we're thankful. His expectation is that we respond to him when we say, God, whatever's going on in my life, I need you to fix it. And when he puts a message like this in your heart, you must respond. The blood of Jesus that was shed on Calvary has expectations. Why hold on to things that burden you down when the blood that purchased your freedom is ready to flow over your sinful life and wash it all away? That is what you need. You need the blood of Jesus. The expectation from God in your situation is that you find a Savior. There are people today that will not make a purchase online without reading the product reviews. And regardless of how inexpensive the item is, if there is a four and a half star review out of thousands of people, it's a guaranteed purchase. It's a shame that people will spend more time researching a $5 purchase and never consider the condition of their soul. They won't even weigh it. They'll try to numb it. They'll try to push it away. But God is trying to help you make a decision tonight. And this preacher is trying to point you to a guaranteed five-star decision for your life. Choose Jesus Christ. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. You may think I'm too smart for those dumb Christians. You are probably right. You're smarter than I am. But you're not smarter. You're not greater. You're not more efficient. You can't heal people like God can. You can't wash away sins. And you can say, well, I feel pretty good about my life of what I've accomplished. Do you still have sin in your life? Because Jesus Christ wants to take that away. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. There are people today that try to save themselves with their own intellect. And say, well, why should I believe the Bible? They're just a bunch of bigots. And they want to throw labels at Christianity. Why don't you try it before you knock it? Why don't you try laying down at night and sleeping with peace in your mind and your heart? Why don't you try getting up in the morning and have joy in your heart because you talk to the creator of the universe? Why don't you try living with sin being washed away by the waters of salvation being baptized in Jesus' name? Why don't you try it before you knock it? The expectation of God is that you know him. In closing, if you've never heard about repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, I'm going to tell you where it was first talked about in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. When they had the response to the question of what shall we do, Peter's first command was repent. 
If you're wondering, how can I get out of this hell hole that I'm living in? How can I get out of this mire of sin? How can I get out of this grip of fear that's in my life? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's not just a recommendation. It's a promise. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Here we find the apostles make it clear that the only way you can get your sins blotted out is to find repentance in Jesus' name. Stop giving excuses. I have no man to take me to the water. I'm here to tell you through the word of God that he's promised. His expectation is, if you'll find an altar, you know where that altar is? Kneeling down where you're at and praying, asking God to forgive you of your sins. Not some generic charismatic prayer that's all the words you say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. What now? You need to mean it. You need to say, God, deep within my heart, wash me and make me clean and pure. I need a Savior in my life. More than anything in my life, I need Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to finish this on your own. You're going to have to get baptized. You're not going to be able to baptize yourself. You're going to need a man of God in your life. You're going to need somebody to put their hands on you and pray in the name of Jesus Christ and baptize you in the only saving name of Jesus Christ. God can then fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's not a little book you crack open and say, repeat these words. But it's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. It's the Spirit that no one else can hand out but God Himself. Take this time and talk to the Savior. You know you've been wanting to. And you've been pushing it off service after service after service. Trying to find something that would change your life. Try Jesus. Church, can we lift our hands and talk to him today? We love you, Master. Oh, Holy Savior, find someone's heart tonight, tender and ready for you. Reach down and move deep within their heart. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your hand, the hand that saves God. Wash us and make us whole again. That's it. Talk to him. He can reach down where you're at. Don't be ashamed of kneeling down in your living room. God's there to meet with you tonight. Let him touch you and change you. Oh, yes it is. He's the way maker in your life tonight.